Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. So we are here joined with a very special friend. Um, We have had this guest on our other podcast, Draw Near, and we met her at the Women's Conference how many years ago? Like three years ago? Uh, Two years ago? That sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. And she, I just feel like without without knowing it in the moment, she had such an impact on what we were going through in our own life. And then Mm -hmm. we had the joy of going and getting um, dinner with her. And it was like she, as Fred says, she was reading our mail. Mm -hmm. She just kept saying things. I was like, yes, this is exactly where we are and like need to hear this. So such a gift. um, And we're very grateful for her friendship and support in our ministry. So we're welcoming Sonia Corbett. Thank you for joining us. My privilege. <laughs> I don't know if you even like know. Have you? We ever shared with her like how much? That I don't meant know. To us? I, yeah, I don't know. Like to the depth. Okay. But Like if if someone asked me, like what was the most impactful talk or, yeah, or yeah. meeting you've had? I typically point to that. So it sounds like I, I'm not. Even though I had this big beard, I'm not like too prideful to admit like the most impactful conference or talk or experience <laughs> I've ever been to was a women's conference. Yeah. So uh, I, love that. I was blessed among women. Yeah. So, yes. Well, one thing that I remember you saying when we went to eat was when you are, when God's bringing you into the promised land, he reviews, he will review just like he did with the Israelites. And so I've even been going back to like my notes that I took at your talk and at the women's conference and like reviewing the things he was saying. Mm-hmm then because it was like speaking into some of the decisions he was asking us to make so yeah it was it was a blessing and now we're right back Thanks be to god yeah. and now we're right back in a season of review again so <laughs> hey there we go <laughs> yeah yeah he likes to do that well it's exciting and terrifying at the same time amen it to is that. Yeah. Well, after you after you came, Fred and I, um, we had the joy of reading your one of your books. And so you are an author with many books. And I was looking into some of them. How many have you written now, Sonia? Seven. Seven. Okay. And mm-hmm. they're wonderful. Praying Like Mary. We read Just Rest. You have a lot of books that are just really beautiful and bring you into both scripture as well as like diving deep in, in holiness. But Just Rest was quite a blessing to us. Mm -hmm. I loved the scripture aspects. Um, That's kind of just how I learn. Uh, But in that book, you get kind of a a deeper look into your conversion and your story and like where you've come from. So is it true you came from Southern Baptist faith, right? Yep. Southern Baptist. (laughs) Fundamentalist. Bible banging. That's like you too, right? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Fundamentalist. But ours was that, but with a Pentecostal Okay. Flare. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like the running in the aisles. The running kind of in the aisles, the okay. somersaults. Yeah. 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 <laughs> gotcha. So I'm curious. We're we're gonna dive in. As many of our listeners know, my Lord and my God has an emphasis on the Eucharist. It's all about the Eucharist. But we like to bring in guests to share their own testimony about encountering Christ in their life, but also how the Eucharist has brought them to a deeper encounter with Christ. So I kind of want to start because you are um, like Fred and like so many of our listeners, you are a convert to the faith. And so I kind of want to start with like how, um, what your initial conversion was like, not to the Catholic faith. So how did you become strong in your love and your desire to live a holy life just in general as a Christian? Well, I started out, um, my parents did not go to church really regularly. Mm -hmm. 
we went, but not every single week. But my, my mother was really good at one thing, and that was making sure that I had a whole lot of Bible story books. Yeah. So I grew up with those stories, and we went to vacation Bible school every year, and so I had a background in that. And then I hit adolescence, teenage, college, that kind of thing, and, and I had one foot in and one foot out, and I knew I did. And I walked around feeling guilty all the time because I was doing stuff I didn't need to be doing. Right. But I hadn't, I just couldn't commit yet. And... Then my husband and I married, and we joined this little country church out in the middle of nowhere, and about a hundred families, very small, mm-hmm. and it felt like a real family. It was a, a very tight knit community, and we both got involved. And my very first Bible study, I taught my very first Bible study at about twenty one, twenty twenty one years old, and my mentor was, I'd say, ten fifteen years maybe 20 years older than I was at the time. And and she and I were going to co-teach. Yeah. And it was on the book of Acts of all things, you know, (laughs) the Holy Spirit coming and and all this and and the tongues and all that. And I just remember after a couple of weeks, she looked at me and she said, Sonia, I think you're supposed to teach this yourself. Wow. Wow. And the weird thing about it was I didn't know anything about anything. All I knew was how much fun I was having and how, voracious I had suddenly become in the scriptures. I couldn't stop. I mean, I was studying all the time. I couldn't, I I was so excited to get to Bible study so I could just tell everybody what I had found, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And so when she said that, it, it felt off a little because I didn't know anything about anything. I had no training, no seminary background, nothing. I didn't have any of that. Yeah. And yet I felt the same way. I, I felt like I was supposed to be teaching it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she sort of just turned me loose. And, and that was the beginning for me. I, I just couldn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm. and the conversion became so deep and so real. And I just never looked back from that point forward. And I still, I, I, I went both feet in, but, you know, I had so much baggage and impurity and woundedness and all kinds of awful habits and everything, you know, to work through. But that was really the beginning for me was that very first study. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I think that's similar to your story with scripture, like going and reading a gospel every day. Yeah. That's when I had my initial conversion, like as a sinner, I like if ten, if one was good for you, 10 was good for me. Like, you know, I was just like that intensity and I brought that same intensity so to the scripture as well. And yeah, it was like I literally read for I couldn't tell you how long for months, a gospel every day and usually an epistle every day. And I was just constantly wanting yeah. to tell it. Did you know it says this in the Bible? Did you know it says? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know about you, Sonny, but sometimes like I know this is what you do for a living, but I still find myself going back to that place. Even now, like we do ministry for a living too, but I still find myself like, kind of missing that intensity and longing for that again. Like I wish I could spend that much time in scripture again, but I also, I have kids, Mm, I have this, I have that. And, you know, like we just did an episode about the old Testament Passover and we were like diving into all of our old studies and you like got Mm -hmm. out rabbinic literature and stuff like that. And he was like, I miss this. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 
Well, I get to do that for, with my podcast, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, so your podcast is Bible Study Evangelista. So if anyone wants to dive deeper into scripture, like that was, I think, when we talk about the way that the Women's Conference blessed us, mm-hmm. it was a walk through Israel in the desert and just our own deserts, and it was beautiful, which is also the, the book Just Rest, um, so get that. But yeah, if you want to dive deeper into scripture things, Bible Study Evangelista, Sonia's um, Sonia's podcast. So kind of going um, going on, what led you then into the Catholic faith? So we had that little country church. We were members of that church for about 15 years. And at the end, we experienced two back-to-back church splits. The first one was, well, I, I guess it wasn't at the very end. It was, I guess, five years in, I think, to our relationship with that church. The very first pastor, there was a sort of... Uh, an uprising against him. And, you know, we didn't know him very well. And I was really young. I didn't know anything anyway. So the only thing I remember from that time, except for the upheaval in the church and the splitting and the, all of that was just that in my daily prayer time, God kept saying to me, you keep your mouth shut. Mm -hmm. No gossip. Don't talk about it. It's none of your business. Stay out of it. Right. I was like, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then about five years later, we had a new pastor whom I did love very deeply because he, he recognized my gifts and he really affirmed me in those in a public way. And I have a father wound too. And he became sort of a, a, a spiritual father to me in that way. And the very same thing happened to him with the very same people. And it just devastated his family, me, my husband, the church. I mean, and I had, I could see then that this was a pattern. It was a pattern in not just our church, but because we were also in denominational leadership, it was a terrible pattern in the whole denomination. It was a pandemic, we could say, yeah. of church splitting and nobody knew what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And since I could see that, you know, it started, it started me thinking, and I call it now sort of a perfect storm because in my Sunday school class, there was a girl who had decided she was going to go be Catholic, you know, and she invited me to her Easter vigil and I'm like, Holy moly. So I go and, and I'm horrified thinking she's going to hell, you know, and I'm, I'm enamored with the, the incense, but the rest of it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is weird. Yeah, you know? Yeah. But she kept coming. She kept coming to our, our weekly Bible study at night and she would offer the Catholic point of view, you know, and every single week I'd be leaving and I'd, I was mad at her. You know? <laughs> she, I'm like, why does she keep doing that? But, and, and I would, I love her you know, to this day, I still love her. So I didn't, I didn't want to just write her off. Yeah. So I kept saying to myself, you know, well, it's not true what she's saying, but could that be the interpretation? Could you, could you actually interpret these passages the way she's saying that the Catholic church does it? And if, and when I was honest, intellectually honest, and I did the research and I understood from the catechism and other things, you know, exactly what the church taught. I had to honestly say, I still said, no, it's not true, but, but you could see it like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that point, you know, you're like halfway in. Right. And so the church splits and this, this young lady coming into the Catholic church. And I did started doing some research on Martin Luther because that was a church split. Mm-hmm. And then I got a hold of a catechism and started reading some of that. And that was the perfect storm. It just, it just sucked me right into the neck of the funnel. You know, all of this was sort of happening at the same time, but the very first domino to fall for me, doctrinally speaking, was the Eucharist. Yeah. 
And when I read John 6 and what Jesus says there and how he sets that teaching up about the Eucharist and then the actual Greek words yeah. and, and I tied it back to the Old Testament bread of the presence. And then I read in the, the, our father where give us this day, our daily bread, yeah. the super usia bread, you know, right. I'm like, whoa, this can only mean, it can only mean what the Catholic church says. And when I admitted that that had to be the case, that is such a salvific issue. I mean, it is like he says, he says, yeah. if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no eternal life. So I was like, holy moly, if we have missed this, yeah, what else have we missed? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was it really for me. That was the first domino. Yeah. yeah wow. That, that was sim similar for me. That was one of the two verses. Actually, there was three verses. There was that one, John 20 on confession and uh, Colossians one twenty four on suffering. It was those, those three verses that really like my... I found that my my Protestant pastors and leaders didn't have answers for those that were like because it always came down to well it depends on your interpretation you know or that's what the Catholics used to justify such and such well mm -hmm. that's great but what do we believe like it can't just be that's what they say like okay and it depends on who you ask right right, right. what yeah. what we believe yeah what we believe depends on who you ask how can that be right right. right. And the I, Holy Spirit cannot be schizophrenic. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm grateful that I had a kind of like your friend. I had a, a professor at my largely Protestant university as I was preparing to be a pastor who who was himself a convert, became Catholic and was tenured and had a long history of converting students into the Catholic faith. And um, he taught New Testament unapologetically Catholic. And I took early church fathers from him. And then when I discovered wow. Ignatius of Antioch, a disciple of the apostle John, I'm pretty confident yep. that a disciple of an apostle would know better than Martin Luther or in, in, right. insert any founder of any yep. church you want. And it, it, suddenly it made sense. He's saying, this is my body because it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And I found my answers. Yeah. So... I remember reading in Just Stress that you were talking about like how what led to your testimony and what led to your conversion was just this like intimate desire to be closer. Like, is there any way that I can be closer to God because I want that? Can you talk a little bit about that desire? Because I know then that led you to like come to that, you know, doctrinal acceptance of the Eucharist as well. Yeah, because I that was a prayer. I didn't even know why I was praying it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, there was no answer for that yeah. kind of prayer as a Protestant. How There is no way to be closer to God except for in the scriptures and to follow him. You know, there's no other way. So I was praying that, I was praying that with the longing for the, the unity, not with him, right? Not just, not not with a church at all. I had, I had none of that in mind at all. It just was a longing of my heart. I just remember being on my porch and just begging him. I'm like, Lord, there has got to be a way that we can be closer. And I really did mean physically, although not in a weird way, not, you mm -hmm. know, creepy or, you know, weird, yeah. but just literally, I, I mean, I meant it literally. Mm -hmm. And when I realized the truth of the Eucharist. And I, he reminded me of that prayer and I just laughed out loud. I'm like, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> you have to be kidding me. You led me to ask for that knowing 
that you were also going to lead me to the Catholic Church, which was such a, that was an earthquake in my life. I mean, it was not some simple decision of the will to enter some different faith. I mean, it was a total, complete earthquake and upheaval of my whole life. Yeah. It was, it was catastrophic yeah. in so many ways. And yet it was the answer to my prayer. And when I, when I came to the intellectual understanding that the church offers, it was the first domino. And, and all I could think is, can I tolerate the rest of it? Can I tolerate the, you know, the rest of what the church teaches? I just don't know if I can. And, and in the end, it didn't matter because all I cared about was being closer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I can, if that is the only thing I get, I am willing to go through anything yeah. to get that. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I thought, you know, I, I went, walked into a Catholic church for the very first time, never had ever seen a priest. I had never heard the word Eucharist. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what a liturgy was, never seen a real life priest in my life until I walked into a Catholic church and said to one, I'm, I'm, I think I have to be Catholic. Yeah. And all of that just, that was in a, in the spring and I thought, I'll wait, I'll wait to come into full communion until maybe Christmas. Cause maybe my husband will come in, you know, cause I, I thought maybe, oh, and I had no idea how awful that was going to be. So I put it off because he was going to let me come in right away. And I thought, no, I'll put it off and I'll wait on my husband. And he, I mean, October-ish came and I'm like, there ain't no way that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we pushed it off until Easter vigil, but that year of waiting was it was the sweetest, most difficult, most bitter suffering of my whole life. It truly was. It, it felt like a super marital moment. When I received the Eucharist, I cried so hard. I thought I was going to have to leave the church. Mm -hmm. It just was so, it was everything I had prayed for and more because it was nothing that I had ever expected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love that. I love seeing the emotion there too. I'm starting yeah. to get a little teary. Oh. <laughs> My whole, I, I believe like listeners, you can hear that in the, in Sonia's voice. We can see it in her face because we're doing this by video, but how has your encounter with Christ and the Eucharist changed your life? It's obvious, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Sonia, I don't know about you, but I, I heard from people, you're trading a relationship for a religion. I heard that. <sighs> And it was, it was hard. Like the first time I received communion, when I got back to my seat, again, keep in mind, I came from a Pentecostal, like literally I saw people run around, do somersaults. That was normal. We didn't have chandeliers. If we did, I'm sure they would swing from it. But like, I never did that. That's just not me. And it's not how my spirituality typically expresses itself. And yet after I received communion and I went back to my seat, there was this joy and excitement like this lifelong longing, I finally found what I was looking for. And I was so overwhelmed with joy. I felt like I needed to do that because I, I was just so overcome with, I finally found what I was looking for. And it's for me, yeah. it was, was that joy. So you described it as like a marital moment, but I think that kind of joy is also like that's totally. a marital moment yeah. as well. And so it's, not trading one thing for another. It's it's a greater realization of a relationship. What's more intimate than having Christ himself, God himself, 
creator of all things living in you, body, blood, soul, and divinity. There's nothing more intimate than receiving Christ himself into your very person. Yeah. And nothing more, nothing more humbling. Yeah. 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 I think that's part of why it's so difficult for a Protestant to, to even consider the Eucharist is why would Jesus do that? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, but when you, uh, that's exactly something he would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you know him at all, you know that's exactly what he would do. Right. Give himself, not just on the cross, but completely. Yeah. yeah. In every possible way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I always take that with the kenosis where, you know, God emptied himself taking the form of a slave. Why would he do that? Like, if we're going to, if we're going to ask about becoming bread, why would he become man? He loves us so greatly that he becomes us. Well, he does that every day and becomes bread because he loves us so deeply. Like it's exactly who God is. You're right. Mm, Yeah. Well, and because of the effects of that sacrament for me, that the Eucharist has, it has, oh gosh, there's no way to even say how, how it has changed everything for me, everything, because it, to have access to that kind of charity and power on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is nothing that you can go through that you can't go receive the Eucharist and know you're getting a shot, an inoculation, a boost of superpower, you know, to be able to endure, to be able to be charitable, to be able to be self-controlled. There, there is no bigger comfort than knowing that I have access to that sort of power on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not just the power, but the intimacy of it too. You know, the there's just something important Jesus knows about our flesh that we need that physical contact. Right. We need it. Mm-hmm. It's not enough that he just be out there, you know, in the, in the, ether somewhere yeah, or even, you know, in our hearts, all of that. Yes, that's all good. It's all well. The Holy Spirit, you know, he brings Jesus to us, not as a, he's not substituting for Jesus. He's bringing us a new way to receive Jesus. But there is something so important about that physical connection, that physical eating and receiving, you know, it's just, there, there is no substitute for it. Yeah. There is, it has changed everything for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And at the heart of, of my Lord and my God is that question, how has your encounter with the Eucharist changed your life? But I think in hearing you talk about, you know, your desire, I don't think I've ever come at it from this point of view before that question, but it's how has it changed your life? So often my mind jumps to like the good, the grace, the the beauty, like the fulfillment of those desires. And that's all true. And I heard that in your story, but also the upheaval, like he just upends your life and it mm-hmm. requires a lot of suffering and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that is true. <laughs> it's so yeah. true. And I even like, I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic. And so, but I still see that in my own life. Like the more my heart desires him, the more it's like, I want to be able to radically like deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me, and also do that with everyone in my life. So if like, just like with you and your, in your family situation, like you want the same thing for those who are in your life. Like I forget who it is, but I was just watching a video and they were talking about how they, you know, somebody who's an atheist was like, if you believe that there is a heaven and a hell so strongly, like how much do you have to hate someone to not tell me about that? You know, like how much do you have to hate someone mm-hmm. to not tell them that about 
about going to heaven or going to hell, even if they're an atheist. Like that's our call to evangelize. And I feel like that's the same that I've had with this, like how the Eucharist changes you. But I see that in your life too. Like you, you talk about this all the time. Like you did socials or career suicide. You committed career suicide and becoming Catholic because you had a pastor pastor job. And I know your situation was very similar, Sonia, with your family. And it was social suicide, essentially, like all of the people just kind of cast you out. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, our call to sacrifice in order to live out this holiness and this call for whatever God is calling you to. Um, But also, you know, that desire to, um, to bring other people into that, like into that love. Well, I think that was part, that was probably the biggest difficulty for me in coming into full communion with the Catholic church was that I had a promise from God and coming into the Catholic church for me meant leaving that promise on the altar. Yeah, It was a, and I had just, I was just at the threshold of receiving it. I was, I was right there. And so it felt like Abraham and Isaac Mm -hmm. offering Mm -hmm. Isaac on the the altar. And that's how I saw it when I came into the church, because I, I was willing, I was willing that to allow God to send me a ram somewhere, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, surely you're going to do something. I don't know what, but surely you'll do something because I know that this is a promise. I don't know what you're doing. And, and I felt very angry even against my denomination because I had at that point been to seminary and I, I'm like, why did nobody tell us any of this? Yeah. Why, why have, has no one told us about what the church fathers say? Right. And, what the early church believed. Why did nobody, and they don't tell us because some of them don't know, but the rest of them don't want us to know, you know, because they know we'd all leave. So I was, I was somewhat bitter about it to begin with, but, but at some point it became a matter of for him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. And I knew that. And so it, it, I can't even, I'm not exaggerating. When I say I left everything, I left everything except my marriage and my kids. Yeah. And I thought I was going to end up losing that. I mean, it was one of those things where I wasn't sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it could have at any time been that way, but I left my promise. I had, I lost my friends. I lost, I, I lost everything and almost lost my marriage. Yeah. And so it was. I just couldn't not do it. And it was the most painful three years of my whole life, that whole process from start to finish. And God used it as such a crucible to teach me about suffering. That's the time that I found St. John on the cross who explained the whole process of suffering and what it's for and how you have to lean in and you can't, you can't resist it or else it just drags it out. You know, I'm like, and and once I get that, I'm like, and then I'm able to receive the Eucharist. So I'm like, bring it, Lord, bring it, (laughs) just send it. And he, he just used all of that in such a major, major way in my life and in my formation. And it was the Eucharist. I mean, I I actually have looked back on this and, and I'm not saying like, my holiness is finished or anything like that. But 
the life of prayer and learning from St. John on the cross, what was so shocking to me about the Eucharist in part was God brought me so far with just the scriptures. He brought me so far, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't make the last big step or the last big leap into another stage of prayer until I had the Eucharist. I needed that. And I'm, there are so many reasons why I'm, I'm sure he led me to the Catholic church and the Eucharist obviously is the greatest gift, but I just was sort of floored by both of those things, how far he can take a soul with simply the scriptures, but then how much further he can take you with the Eucharist. When you have both of those things, Mm -hmm. there's nothing, there's nothing he can't do with a soul. Yeah. Mm. Amen. In uh, one of our favorite books, it's uh, I believe in love. It talks about how God can bring you to uh, a low point or to a place where you have to make an act of confidence and then he rewards you with an opportunity to make an even greater act of confidence. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, here you go. Have some more. Yeah. Here's some more suffering. Yeah. Show me that you, you truly believe in what I'm saying. And I think, I think your testimony is um, very powerful in that. Like just, you lost everything. You thought you were going to lose your family. And I think it shows just, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we get so trapped in this like comfort of the faith, even in regards to communion. It's like, oh, I don't need to go to confession. I'm just going to go receive my my, you know, my mid mass snack. And there's just this like comfort indifference um, in yep. regards to our faith and, and the Eucharist. But that's not who God is. Like going back to what we said, you know, God would never. Why would God become bread? That's exactly who God is to call us out of comfort, to call us to a place of sacrifice and difficulty. And that's exactly what he did with the apostles. You know, they had to leave their their trade and their family and they had to go follow him radically. And so I just think that's what I hear in your testimony is just this, this radical faith. Well, I also think that that's part of what COVID was meant to do was to shake us out of some of that complacency for the Eucharist, especially because when the doors were shut and everybody was like, oh my gosh, we can't receive the Eucharist. I mean, everybody freaked totally out and they should, Mm -hmm. but it, I think it did a couple of things. It pushed people toward the scriptures more because that's all we had. But at the same time, it really developed this sense of thanksgiving and gratitude for the scripture i mean for the eucharist too because when you can't get it yep suddenly you know you always want what you can't have when you can't get it and and i think it also made people kind of step back and and say to themselves why would jesus remove the eucharist from the church for a time yeah why would he do that if for anyone who thinks on a global kind of not not global like in the world or politically, but global in the way of learning, like a, a big picture kind of way. Anyone who thinks in that kind of way has to look at the at that whole episode and go, what was he doing? Yeah. Right. right? You know, but I think that that was part of it because people lost their minds mm. when they could not go to church and receive the Eucharist. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think that that helped us all to appreciate it a lot more. There's a yeah. certain way in which you see typology in scripture. That's like foreshadowing for those that aren't familiar with that phrase, but you see that God's typology play out in history. And I think in a way we see that same typology foreshadowing play out in our lives. Like why would God do that? Well, he did it in the exile too. Mm -hmm. They, They no longer had his presence 
in the temple well also we just i think in maybe this is just the states like we're a little bit spoiled like if you go to you know third world world countries where their Mm -hmm. faith is alive they will travel miles and miles and miles to go once a month um, because that's just where they're at with their priests and so i think god was definitely trying to do something he did something in my own heart so i wholeheartedly believe it Mm -hmm. i think it was he shook me to be like you are you are being complacent. Your faith is mass and that's it. So I'm going to take it away. And now you need to come to come to my heart mm. a different way. And I I did. Um, and it was very difficult for the first couple months until I realized that. And it's like, I miss you. <laughs> where, 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 what do I do? Where do I go? Yeah. Um, so he definitely was doing that. But that also, I think, goes to goes to the book Just Rest. Like he does things in the desert. And so for those three years of you coming into the faith and desiring that like that was one of your your deserts that he was just changing your heart and your life it was the main desert of my entire life it was the hardest it was the hardest point of my life to this to date yeah Mm. but i also think you know now looking back on it it's been 16 years now and and looking back on that what i know too is that that's the eucharist really is the key to our evangelization especially for non-Catholics, yeah. non-Catholic Christians, because it's so obvious in the scriptures. All you have to really do is point it out and go, where's your Eucharist? Yeah. Where's your right. Where's your bread? Yeah. He, oh, but that's just symbolic. No, 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 it's not symbolic. And here's the topology to show you that it's not symbolic. Yes. And, right. and once you do that, it shakes them to the core as it should, as it did me, mm-hmm. right? And suddenly it does, it creates that longing. Yeah. You know, why don't, why don't I have this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really the key to our evangelization. I think we're missing the boat there. If I have, even like on social media, you know, you see so much anti-Catholic stuff and just a well-placed question regarding the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You talk about opening up a Pandora's box. People are just like, they're like, what? Yeah. You know, because I didn't know the word either. I didn't know any of that teaching. And you just place a really well-crafted question in a social media situation yeah. like yeah. that and watch what happens. It's it's amazing. Yes, right. yeah. I agree. I, even like when you dive into the meaning of Eucharist, meaning Thanksgiving, like there's a whole teaching behind their belief that the only sacrifice that would be left in the new covenant will be the thank offering. It's like, hey, we're in the new covenant. Like, here's the thank <laughs> offering. It's mass. Anyways. Right. I get, I get kind of nerdy, but when you do walk through the the teaching, the typology, that's exactly what we did in our in our few episodes before this. Walking through the Old Testament manna, walking through the past, their belief of Passover, walking through John six, like mm-hmm. we're trying to show. No, this isn't just a representation. Like because we know this, this is how God works. He works in patterns. This is this is who he who he is. Um, but going back to what you were talking about, like when you when you specifically are looking at sharing the Eucharist with non-Catholic believers, I guess that would be my question, because even Catholics, dare I say, we know like not everyone in the Catholic Church believes. Absolutely. We know that there are people who just outright do not agree with the Catholic faith. And those are, you know, our Christian brothers and sisters. And then maybe even. Well, maybe we won't go as far as our, as far as atheists, but what would you what would be something that you would tell them about the mass or about the Eucharist to draw them more in, maybe to create that desire in their heart? Gosh, there's so many things you could say. Right. And typically in those kinds of conversations, I like to wait until the Holy Spirit opens the door with some sort of question. 100%. I know he's already acting. Yeah. Or, or moving. But 
ultimately, I think that those kinds of things have to go back to our personal witness and our personal experience with what we're trying to explain. So, so I would, I would probably track my journey into the Catholic church through the Eucharist because it, it, it ultimately, it began with that doctrine, that dogma, that teaching, that reality, and everything else just followed so beautifully from that. Every, everything that I didn't understand with my heart, even though I, I got it with my head, particularly Marian things. So I got, I got it with my head, but I, it just wasn't connecting with my heart, but the Eucharist was inarguable. Yeah. And so I was able to say, you know what? I don't even have to, I don't have to understand. I don't have to connect. I don't, I don't need all that. I just need this. I need the Eucharist. I need this body, blood, soul, and divinity. I, I know I need it for my own spiritual life. I can, I had a lady, I, th- I shared the story in Just Rest. I had a lady in the cookie aisle that I used to go to church with. She stopped me and she goes, what has happened to you? Yeah. You know, we're talking and, and she says, what has happened to you? And, I, and I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, you look so peaceful. And I just thought, oh, yes, I have finally <laughs> found mm-hmm. peace. Yeah. And it's that, it's the, Chapter eight of Song of Solomon, that consummation, the peace of that consummation of receiving the Eucharist, God, Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is the most intimate thing you can do on earth for so many reasons. And so I guess that's, that's the only way I could approach it with someone. And, and then, you know, perhaps if they're nerdy like we are, you know, the, the fun stuff with the typology and, and the Greek words and all that, all that really, really fun stuff. But most people don't care about that. They don't care at all. And that's, you know, hard for people like us to sometimes accept, but they just don't. What they care about is what does this mean for you? And, and we have to, we have to share with people the, the martyrs died. Right. They died for Mm -hmm. this. It wasn't just faith in Christ. It was faith in the Eucharist, especially in those early years, the very first persecutions. So they wouldn't die for nothing. Right. So, so many, so many angles that we could come at it, you know, from, but I guess probably the most effective one is always your own personal witness. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, When you, you mentioned uh, they died for this, the thing that stands out to me in that is one died 20 more rose up in their place. Like there's a re there's a reason that in the early church, St. Cyprian said this, but I'm sure it was a common saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm-hmm. There's a reason. Whole body yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason for that. Um, Sonia, while Kara was asking the question, I don't have the, the reference off the top of my head. Cause it just, I know it's from the book of revelation, but we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Those two go together. Yep. Yep. And um, the blood of the lamb, of course, that's calling to mind the Passover sacrifice. And those listeners, if you've listened to all of our episodes so far, you know that that sacrifice was not complete until when? You have to consume the lamb. And how do you overcome? By the word of your testimony. Once again, we go back to our question. How has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? I think there's a lot of people out there that 
their experience of the Eucharist, what they see in you is give me my cracker so I can go home. This better be a short homily, Father. If that's you, don't expect to see church renewal. I gave a talk recently to confirmation sponsors, Sonia, and I, and I asked the question, because I typically like to ask that question, how has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? And there was one person in particular, an older lady, who I would assume to take to be a church lady. You know what I mean? Like, she's been faithful. She goes every uh, every Sunday, probably has her whole life. That was my assumption. And But I noticed she had a confused look on her face. And she said, her response to that question after a few awkward minutes, because you got to let a question like that dangle, um, well, that's why we need people like you to tell us. Uh, no, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist has changed your life. That is only between you and the Lord. And Sonia, I hear that in your testimony too, that desire you asked years ago, long before you were Catholic, you expressed that desire. And I see that foreshadowing, that typology in your life that set that moment up. And it came at a great cost. It came at a great sacrifice, just like the Passover. You overcome how? By the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So if you're listening and you, like, you're listening to our discussion and you're thinking, I don't know how I would answer that question. It's time you start asking. Mm -hmm. Lord, how has it changed my life? And I know it should. Lord, I want that. And if you don't have that desire... Ask the Lord to give you that desire. Sometimes that's a good prayer too. Lord, I want to want that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Because you're supposed Sometimes to. Sometimes that's the only prayer we have. And yes, yeah. you're supposed to. This is supposed to be normal. The way we're talking, this is supposed to be normal Catholic life. So, sorry. Sh no, that's a, a no, I like but... that. I like that. You're right. It's supposed to be normal to, to be able to talk about it. But just like what you said too, Sonia, to start, start with your own personal testimony. If we've never asked that question of the Lord, if we've never thought about that for ourselves, how can we share it with people? How mm -hmm. can we go out and talk about how God has changed our life? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where we have to start. So no, I think if that's, that's like a huge takeaway in so many ways is just hearing your own testimony and like seeing how moved you are by your desire and your love for God now, like that changes hearts. And so many of us have experienced those things. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to, to bring that to people, to share that because that's how renewal happens in the yeah. church and in the heart. St. Athanasius, the Lord, God became man so that man might become God. The whole point is him wanting to share our, his divine nature with us, to perfect us. I just, is so, that not crazy? Yes, yeah. to pour his life out in us. Sonia, earlier when you were talking, I just kept hearing the phrase, you become what you eat. Yes, that's the point. Mm. You become what you eat. Um, and your witness, that lady, you didn't even have to say anything. She saw the peace in you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. Right. I couldn't believe it. And that's because I, I had not been in the church very long. And all mm -hmm. I could do is just thank Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She said, you were, you were always just such a pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah. and I am, I'm still that way, but, but I have, I do have that deeper peace. My peace, I give you my peace. I leave you. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And, and it, it is definitely uh, the Eucharist is, everything yeah. yeah it is the source and summit it, it is yeah amen that's a good place to stop the eucharist is everything <laughs> amen. well thank you so much for joining us if anyone wants to find you or learn more about you where do they go 
Uh, just Google my name, Sonia Corbett or BibleStudyEvangelista.com. We are doing a series right now on the Holy Spirit and the things that only the Holy Spirit can do. So we're doing a podcast on that. And I just finished one on angels. And so, yeah, that's where all my stuff are, is. Perfect. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you for having me. <laughs>